Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casazza. This is a Paramount podcast. That across the aisle is Chris Anderson joining me today to talk about the second opponent for the West Virginia Mountaineers in the 2023 season. That would be the Duquesne Dukes, the annual FCS opponent. This one hails from the Northeast Conference in the FCS level. Opened the season last week with a 49-7 win over Edinburgh. Chris, you don't just wake up and smack Edinburgh around like that, do you? Yeah. Oh, you do? I don't know. I haven't I haven't done my scouting report on the uh, Division Two Pennsylvania programs of late. Oh, well, we've been forced to do a little bit with the FCS program here. We can talk... Some about the Dukes. Obviously, the focus of this one here for so many reasons is on West Virginia. It's a get-right game, obviously. Maybe if they had their druthers, they'd flip these games around, play Duquesne, answer some questions, play Penn State. Not the way the schedule broke. And this now at least gives West Virginia a chance to play the FCS team before a game they'd like to win. That would be next week against Pitt. So this is not necessarily in an evil spot on the schedule. Kind of like it, actually, if you're going to play two power fives early on. This can help you a little bit, too. Are we missing that a little bit? feels like forest trees a little bit. Would you rather open Duquesne, Penn State, Pitt, or would you rather have Penn State, Duquesne, Pitt, or Pitt, Penn State, Duquesne? You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It does make sense, but I think pretty much no matter what, I would rather start with an FCS school. I would always want to get my season off with a win. Period. End of story. Well, there should be no excuses next week against Pitt, though, right? Right. Yeah. No excuses. It's an itch I tried to scratch in the fresh set coming up here on Friday morning. Uh, maybe I'll do a better job there. I just think it's an interesting angle. You can actually play here a little bit that, you know, obviously they're not going to lose this. They should be better. But what they talked about not having for the opener, they're going to have for the Panthers. And that's going to be at home. And, and like there really should be no if fans butts about that one there. There's nothing in the way of what they want with the way the schedule broke here. So this should be um, a cakewalk for the Mountaineers who are 23-0 and against FCS teams. There have been some close calls. Um, James Madison would be one in 2019. William & Mary one in 2013. Um, rarely, though, are these um, eventful, nervy, scary for the Mountaineers. Who knows? Not sure. But 49 points last week. Um, a, a kind of a respected defensive coordinator at the Division II level who's now in the FCS level with Duquesne. Coach has been there a while. They've hit some transfers that I think they like at that level. I'm not sure how good they'll be on Saturday at Mountaineer Field. But team with a pulse and, well, three wins against West Virginia in the past. In fact, Duquesne, three, four, and one against the Mountaineers. Passes prologue, right? I had that stat in my preview. What was that from like 1931 or something like that? The last time they won. Yeah. Duquesne has not lost to West Virginia in quite some time. Um, they played in 35. Duquesne won 1919 or excuse me, 19 nothing. They haven't played since. So um, you're talking like, you know, 88 years of dominance in the series. Is, is Duquesne holding on to the uh, Black Diamond Trophy version of of this rivalry for all those years? wonder what it is. I'm not sure. We'll have to figure that one out. Maybe, maybe it never comes up. We'll see. Um, anyhow. 
anything about the Dukes get your attention here? There's probably a little bit we should talk about. I think people are more interested in discourse against about West Virginia, maybe against West Virginia too. But we are here to talk about the game, the preview. I have a few things, a few people. What about you? I do too. Which side of the ball you want to start on? Start on offense because that's probably where we're going to spend a lot of our time on the West Virginia side, given some of the concerns or shortcomings we saw Saturday night. Their defense against Duquesne's offense. Let's start with the Dukes when they have the ball. The Dukes when they have the ball. Okay. Uh, Parantes, the quarterback, pretty good player, good feet. Uh, saw some of the highlights from the Edinburgh game. Uh, he is able to move and get out of the pocket, avoid some sacks. So that's something, you know, okay. First off, before I continue, let me preface everything that we are going to say on this podcast comes with the grain of salt that is we're talking about an FCS program that beat a Division II program. So, <laughs> it's not on the same level we're going to say stats we're going to talk about things that happen it's not on the same level of say previewing penn state okay so now that's out of the way he's able to move his feet he's able to get out of the pocket he, he avoided a couple sacks on one of his touchdown passes i think he probably should have been wrapped up two or three times and and you know maybe a division two defensive lineman's not doing it but a west virginia university defensive lineman sure as heck should be doing it so i think that's something you know you can watch for, for some of those players to make sure you're at least West Virginia's defense is going to have to break at least a little bit of a sweat against this team in part because their quarterback can make things happen with his feet and his arm. Real boomer bus guy too. He he floats around like the, the low to mid fifties. I think he completed seven passes last week. Uh, two of them were touchdowns. One got close to runs around a little bit. Um, has some new talent on the offense from the transfer portal, mostly in the backfield, though, next to him. Um, I don't know. The neatest thing for me, do you know who his brother is? I do not. London Parentes, the point guard at UVA. Aha. Uh-huh. Nice. I knew I'd heard that last name before. Honestly, I backward I backward Googled that one. I was like, that sounds like a familiar name. I wonder if there's a relationship. And sure enough, there is. They're both in California, made their way to this side of the country to play college. Um, he's had a journey. Started off at Rhode Island, played in Los Angeles, was the Los Area Los Angeles Times Area Player of the Year. I think that means in the area that they cover, he that he played in, he was their Player of the Year. Ends up at Rhode Island, plays a little bit the first year, starts a couple times, um, two starts. Doesn't play at all the next year. He's at Duquesne, gets bumped in because their starter gets hurt. He plays a lot, doesn't play hardly at all last year, has one good game at his start, and then just kind of attrition led him up to the starting spot this year. No idea who or what's behind him. If we have to answer that question, probably doesn't matter, but a little dangerous, a little, a little, a little zig and zag you can do there too. Um, their running game is probably what will get some attention because they really dominated on the ground. In the opener um, had 238 rushing yards, and they have a Division One transfer from Missouri named Taj Butts. No relation to Marion. I checked it. However, handed off a lot, gain yardage, pretty consistent. And I think if you're an FCS team and you're looking for uh, a recipe against a team like West Virginia, it's probably similar to what West Virginia did last week, where you shorten the game a little bit, you run the ball, you control the clock, and you hope for some turnovers. Where this takes a turn for West Virginia, and I guess specifically for Duquesne, uh, wrong side of the ball here, I promise I'll get to back on track of the offense. But first time ever in school history last week, Duquesne forced five turnovers. So again, some of that, you're right, Chris, that's the quality of opposition, sure. But West Virginia did a really good job keeping the ball out of danger. No 
nail-biting moments on a pass. Ball was never on the ground and never, like, close, really, if you went back and watched it. Got to be secure every game, but sure, you don't want to give the other team extra chances here, especially they're going to be a run team that shortens the clock. Um, I don't know, any other personnel, matchups, points of interest on offense? For those of you who are here for the tight end pain portion of the podcast, uh, Juan Easterling, a transfer from Wisconsin, uh, was a physical specimen and a guy that a lot of Power 5 teams wanted, and he eventually committed to Wisconsin, uh, transferred to Duquesne and is now their starting tight end. Um, like you said, a lot of running done in that blowout win over Edinburgh, but keep an eye on him just in case. And then their big receiver, DJ Powell, who's from Deerfield in Florida, played at Bethune-Cookman, and he shows up at Duquesne and has 100 yards, I mean, pretty easily there too. But again, kind of a boomer bust, um, really got extra possessions, obviously. I think they had a pick six in their second play of the game. And then it was all downhill from there, too. Would not expect them to be able to move the ball as successfully unless things go really sideways there, too. Looks like their passing game is, again, kind of boom or bust. Is it going to be big? Is it going to be not? We'll see. But they did take some deep shots. Perantis, I believe, three for five on 20-yard-plus passes. Aim for uh, Powell a couple times. He appears to be a fast guy who happens to be 6'3". That'll help. And that'll test West Virginia's cornerbacks, whomever that may be, too, because I mean, they they will spread the field and they will throw the ball. Um, again, they might want to run it more, but when they do throw it, they're probably going to go over the top and see what happens. Let's switch it up now. Go yeah, west. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. I was just going to add on to what you just said there because you're right. He he attempted 13 passes and eight of them were from 10 plus yards down the field. Uh, only one green pass attempt, according to Pro Football Focus, and like you said, Brown and um, uh, oh God, now I was blanking on the other one. Uh, but actually, they have a couple different receivers, Brown, Powell, and Eiffel. But did you know that the preseason all-conference receiver for Duquesne was none of those guys? Yeah, that's a weird I story. Huh? In, I have to call into question maybe the, the, the uh, Northeast Conference media conglomerate out there. It was Joey Isabella, who did not even start for the team, but ended up playing about 20 snaps, was not targeted in the game, was the lone preseason all-conference player on the offensive side of the ball for the Dukes. So, I mean, what does that say about their depth? I don't know. Deep, yeah. deep wide receivers, Mike. Uh, be on guard. That's why I don't put depth charts out. You could sneak up on my Andy Isabella and look what Andy Isabella, the other Isabella. Yeah. Is he related to Andy Isabella? Are these all? I don't know. I, I, I haven't gotten my uh, family tree uh, subscription like you do. Let's switch sides now. West Virginia's offense, Duquesne's defense, again, five turnovers, nothing to sneeze out there because sometimes the ball hits you in the hands, got to catch it. They did. Sometimes the ball's in the ground, you got to get it. They did, but um, I, I, there, there's not a whole lot to speak of here. They they lost some good players, including someone they may see at Pitt next week, a defenseman named Hill, mm-hmm. which is a Pitt, good player. Um, for them, maybe at Pitt, we'll see, but it was definitely a kind of a, a backfield invader that they don't have anymore. And then I just, I just can't tell what to make of – preseason reports or what happened in this first game about their defense, but they did kind of handle the, the the way they should the division two team that turns it over five times. Uh, you remember when I brought up havoc rate in my countdown and noted how WVU was basically one of the worst in the country uh, at 13.5% last season. That is, um, the, let's see, they almost nearly doubled that. I mean, again, Grand Assault, FCS, Division Two, all that stuff, one game. 
Um, in this game, Duquesne had a havoc rate of basically 25%. One out of every four plays on defense resulted in a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, an interception, or a forced fumble. One out of every four ended up that way. So, again, th- this is something that you noted. You know, West Virginia didn't turn the ball over against Penn State, didn't really have to worry about it too much. But they can't completely fall asleep against Duquesne because they do kind of fly around and, and make some things happen on that side of the ball. And and it's not really just one person either. Uh, I'm looking at PFF, and they have they credited the Dukes with 11 pressures on defense by 11 different players. Mm-hmm. And they came at all the different spots. I mean, it's guys that are, according to PFF, you know, they, they list based on how you line up on the field, not necessarily what your quote-unquote position is. but the 11 pressures were by 11 different players that play defensive end, linebacker, cornerback, another linebacker, another linebacker, another defensive end, defensive tackle, safety, cornerback, cornerback, linebacker. I mean, it, it it's all kind of the levels here, and they come from different angles, or at least that's what the stats would tell you. Four turnovers in the first quarter, by the way. I didn't realize that. They had five school record, but they had four in the first quarter. That's why the game got away from them. Maybe that tilts the offense, so maybe what we're reading about the offense isn't it, but made some plays, and uh, watch out. Aiden Garns, he had the pick six, second play in the game. A uh, guy from Philadelphia, redshirted, sat out a year, played last year, played better. He's active, and he's one of the players of the week in the NEC this week, but not just for the interception return. Uh, had some tackles, had some PBUs. We'll see there. Um don't know what to do about the running game. <laughs> like the, like the CJ Donaldson running at these guys is going to be different than what they've seen. That's inherent with FCS games because the lines are where you typically find um, some mismatches and just because of the disparity in size, strength, experience, talent too. They're not fishing from the same waters and recruiting. And um, sometimes that's not true. Actually, um, one of the better Duquesne linemen is now a Louisville offensive lineman. But defensive line for them, I'm not going to go over the numbers. Kind of tall, not very big. Who knows how quick or strong, but – West Virginia's offensive line should be an advantage and also sending the wave of running backs at them um, should be pretty good. My question then for you, though, Chris, is um, not much C.J. Donaldson in this one, I would anticipate. Quarter, maybe two, depending on how the game goes. But Jaheim White will be healthy. Uh, Justin Johnson had a kind of a splashy play that got wiped off the board. Jalen Anderson didn't do much of his run plays and, and was kind of a quietly effective as a receiver. Did pass block pretty well, though. Of those three... Who does this seem like a big occasion for? I want to say Justin Johnson in part because I think it was pretty clear that he's the third back here with some momentum building for Jaheim White. And, you know, I'm not getting on this, hey, it's you know, now or never kind of situation, but if you're the third, if you're a third stringer and the two guys in front of you are younger or the same age, and then the guy that's nipping on your heels is also younger you're really going to need to pull something together. And, and I think this is an opportunity for him because, again, he's a good back. He's a good running back. He can play at this level. So I think it's important for him. And honestly, Mike, this is one of the one of the other, you know, few things I was able to pick up from PFF and looking at this for this Duquesne team. West Virginia should basically run free on them, especially up the middle. They're starting interior defensive linemen and they're starting linebackers. Four of them I'm talking about here. Ackerman, Kersinger, Johnson, and Palmer. They averaged 24 snaps in the game. 
they combined for six missed tackles. Mm. Like that, that is a, a hefty amount. And when you look at the PFF grades, right, all four of them, it's just bright red under tackle, right? Red, you know, like, which means terrible grades, uh, you know, 65 being above average and 60 kind of being average tackles for these guys, 21.8, 29.1, 26.0, 29.2. Those are the tackling grades. Cause those guys missed what few opportunities they had. They missed those tackles. And if that's happening against an overmatched division two school, the running backs for West Virginia and the offensive line for West Virginia just needs to kind of dominate this game. Yeah. Um, Chris, I have a depth chart for Duquesne. Um, have you heard of this? Mm. I'll read you from the depth chart here. Um, they're starting defensive end, 6'3, 285 is a grad transfer. Their backup is 6'2, 255. Starting nose, 6'5, 310, AJ Ackerman. Um, that's formidable. I mean, that's that's big at the FBS level there. His backup, 6'3, 290. Then things get interesting. Defensive end, 255, backup, 260. Outside linebacker. Six foot one ninety five. His backup is two fifteen. Inside linebacker, uh, six foot two thirty five. Okay, backup six foot two twenty. Inside linebacker, six two two twenty five. Backup six foot two twenty. This feels like a gap inside zone game. One or the other. I, I can't see them even needing or wanting to go outside the tackles. If they do, watch out if you're these two hundred or excuse me the two hundred fifty five pound defensive end or the one hundred and ninety five pound outside linebacker, but. I just see if they can handle that nose, which you probably take your chances with Zach Frazier. You can do what you want on gap plays and inside zone plays there too, because of the size. That's just, again, that's, that's a fact of these FCS matchups there. Um, had to figure out a way to make that work there too. Corners caught passes, I guess they're tall. One, six, one, one, six, three. It'll be interesting to see if a Cortez Bram, for example, could have a better game. I wonder, I wonder how much of the, the drop pass on the screen and the procedure penalty in the third quarter, um, stuck with them a little bit. You drop a pass. That was early first quarter, I believe. Um, ah, man, early first game, you know, there's things in your head like, man, I don't want to miss a tackle all year. I don't want to drop an interception all year. You know, I don't want to drop a pass all year. Are those things realistic? Maybe not, especially missed tackle. I don't know why I pulled that one out. But if it's all gone so early, that really probably does mess your head, especially if you've had a good offseason. Like someone like Bram was said to have had. Um, but no catches, uh, ran a lot of routes, didn't get anything really productive out of that. And then made like one mistake that he probably could have gotten a better throw on, but one mistake that took um, the wind out of the sails of the offense at a pretty significant potential momentum point. I-, I wonder if he's got a good game in him here. That'd be a guy I'd be looking forward to because, you know, I'm not sure how much you need to want Devin Carter playing. They're probably going to try to get Traylon Ray out there a bunch. Bram seems like a guy who's, a veteran, I guess, but isn't so established that he wouldn't be out there. If not here, I don't know when because they got to get him. They got to get those outside receivers going. Just a guy I have my eye on here. Yeah, I, I and the big thing for some of these guys is to make sure you kind of don't want to press too hard because in reality, how many snaps are these starters or these fringe starters going to be playing on Saturday? Like 25 snaps? Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard, 25, 30 snaps. It's going to be hard to really like make a, an enormous impact in that amount of time with only one football, obviously. And, and a lot of guys trying to kind of, I want to say overcompensate, but really try to, you know, make an impression after things kind of didn't go so well against Penn State. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris, I've just been handed a note by our research department. What? That that death chart you had was from last season because no one gives out death charts this year? Joey, Joey Isabella is Andy Isabella's younger brother. Outstanding. Thank you. Outstanding. To, thank you to the staff for helping me out on that one there, too. Um other individuals that you want to see here is would it be depth in the offensive line? You know, maybe Nick Malone gets a long run here. Maybe, you know, Bryce Biggs, I believe he plays special teams. Could he get in there? You mentioned the running back. Other certainly Rodney Gallagher is going to be somebody who probably gets an ovation when he gets on the field and, and does something with um I don't know, anything. Uh, uh probably a catch, maybe a handoff pass, who knows? But uh who who do you have your eyes on there? It's gonna be the skill guys that you're talking about. It's Jaheim White, it's Rodney Gallagher, it's it's anybody a running back or wide receiver that can make a game-breaking play. Um, you look at that, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm good with the offensive line. I realize that Derek Green is probably the best option at quarterback right now. I feel okay about tight end. You know, I saw some good things about Cole Taylor out there. Uh, Jalen Davis, you know, staff likes him. And so then you're <clears throat> coming to wide receiver and running back. And guess what? West Virginia still has the same problem on offense that they had last year. And then, Problem they had the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that. They can't make big plays, period. It's it's as simple as that. They do not have the big playability right now or have not shown it, and I want to see somebody that can do it. And if they need to go to second, third string to figure that out, do it. Yeah, there's a high bar for like Jay Sean Polk and Rodney Gallagher and Jaheim White this week and perhaps as soon as next week, EJ Horton, because there wasn't a lot of juice in that game. I, I don't know if that was just because they were they were determined to be deliberate on offense. I mean, maybe that just took the you know motivation to be fast out of there. They, they just weren't rapid between snaps and after snaps and just didn't have the over the top or through the middle guys. Those three, maybe four are supposed to be providers of that. I'm talking about White, Horton, Poke, Gallagher. Uh, we probably will see three of them. No Horton this week. But, uh, boy, there's a lot on them. And if they do something, sure, it's going to be perhaps inflated because it's the FCS opponent. But it certainly will be welcome there, too. Um, they have to do something to – got to have that threat to score from pretty much anywhere in the field. You know, even if a defensive back falls down or whatever, at least you stretch it out that much that you turn a – a 40-yard catch into a 70-yard touchdown, that still counts. That's good. That's important. And, you know, guys can do that are on the field. Certainly Carter has that potential. They can go up and high-point balls and probably push people away and run away from him. But you're going to need more than one guy out there to do that. And if it's in the backfield or if it's out receiver in the slot, that will be helpful there. Let me ask you a question about the offense. And it's going to go to Garrett Green. My sense and I'm trying to find the right word here, and it's not frustration, but the sentiment is frustration. But my sense of that, there is something, awareness, alarm, among the head coach and the, and the offensive coordinator about Green and just who he is at this stage and maybe moving forward, which is that he's not a pocket guy and that he's probably going to struggle to see some things, whether it's because of his height over the offensive line, whether it's the fact that he is an inherent scrambler and he knows his legs are good and he can weaponize his wheels in the offense and make the offense dynamic because of it. 
but perhaps he doesn't get to the reads or he's looking right and doesn't see what's over here. And maybe he's trying to feel the rush so he can use those legs, whatever the case. Um, does that have any legs to it? I hate to use the pun there, but do you, do you sense already, even after one game, because I'm just going about what some players said and what some coaches said about, for example, Neil Brown, Taylor caught two passes, probably should have had five catches because he was open in the middle twice. Oh, that's kind of an interesting note to put out there, too. And we know how Brown, Brown has critiqued Green in the past, so maybe that's just a very honest assessment that continues the past. But I just can't get past that feeling that they know and that they're putting it out there like, listen, we see what you're seeing. We're trying to work with it. I'm going to begin begin to answer your question with a question. Shouldn't this coaching staff that has coached Garrett Green for the last three years have known this prior to this week? Yeah, if that if that's the case, because I'm with you and I, I get the same sense that you do. And and again, I I also took note of that Cole Taylor comment. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and you know, saying that, saying that he's missing his layups, saying that he's missing open receivers, saying he's not waiting on things. Um, like yeah, a lot of comments about that. I mean, no one really came out and said flat out, hey, the quarterback play was bad. What they did say it. Um which is kind of your point here. Um, so it, it, but if you told me, you know, if you, you're asking me this question, I'm looking, I'm like, this is the Garrett green that everyone knew Garrett green was like, I mean, I, I think that was not his best game, but he has the same flaws and the same, you know, positive attributes that he's had for the last two years. So if you're just now being like, yeah, this isn't good enough then you shouldn't have gone into the last spring saying we're not going to the transfer portal, which you and I have already, uh, I don't want to say beat over the beat over the head, but that that that's not good. But I'm with you. I think there is a sense of that, and I think there are a lot of comments already after week one from, from coaches and players about that. Which leads me to this. When Marchio gets in, if I'm him, I'm, I'm just staring at the middle of the field. I'm not looking outside at all. I'm just throwing it to the tight ends and the running backs who are leaking out. I'm asking Kyle Hamilton to run like a hook route. I'm just, I'm making a point to like, hey guys, I can see the middle of the field and I can get it there too. I asked um, I asked Cole Taylor about this after, on Monday's news conference because he, he made a pretty good point about, I wish I'd played more in the run game. That was cool to me. I thought that was a good sign of his determination. But also it was, it was pretty clear that, you know, Brown had said that he should have had more catches. And I think the, just two catches for him and three targets total in the opener does not align with what they said they were going to do with the tight ends. And is that permanent? Probably not. I think they want to get him involved, but I asked him like, Hey, it's hard. You can get open, but you're not going to do jumping jacks in the middle of the field. The quarterback has to know, and it's probably going to take time. And and he kind of gave a good answer about, you know, the the quarterback's got a lot going on and we did a lot of like, you know, routes on air and seven on seven stuff, but yeah, it takes time. Then I was thinking, Chris, like who does green have rapport with? Like, how was this going to be sharp? Like, timing down expectations down he doesn't know carter really doesn't know taylor really doesn't i mean maybe bram he would know the most i guess but certainly gallagher poke horton like all these people who were supposed to be the difference makers on offense I, it's i wonder if it's gonna i hate to say this is it gonna get worse before it gets better because it's probably not going to look that way saturday but it's going to take them time and does that mean you play green a little bit longer than maybe you normally would against an FCS team? I mean, I'm not sure this is a day for Sean Boyle to be playing the fourth quarter. I probably, I mean, I would think about maybe getting Marchio in early in that first half instead of just giving him the second half or the second quarter. Um, 
but I also want to make sure that Green gets an opportunity to actually grow with his receivers there. It's only his second game with a lot of these guys. And you're right. And this kind of goes back to the question the other day in the mailbag that you and I tackled, where it was, what's the identity of this offense? And I said, and what this is four offensive coordinators in five years with, you know, three, four different, you know, there's no offensive coordinators, then an offensive coordinator, then the co-offensive coordinator, then somebody's calling plays and then somebody else is calling plays. And then we all call plays as a community uh, decision. And then back to the head coach calling plays with five different quarterbacks. And now we are having complete overhaul of the wide receiver room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of expecting some, uh, some bumps here along the way as they try to figure this out. Cause you're right. There's, there's no rapport between green and the wide receivers, no matter how much they sat out there and, you know, comfortably, through to each other against air, as Cole Taylor put it. Yeah, it was not Kalen King dressed in the air costume on Saturday night, for sure. Um, and finally, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the defense and another kind of longstanding concern that we have. And yours falls into a question from the mailbag, too, that we didn't get to, but that we wanted to nevertheless give some time to here because it requires some thought and some uh, some depth that maybe the podcast doesn't often provide us on Mondays. Yeah, there were multiple people who asked, well, why is the secondary so bad and why has it been so bad the last couple of years? Because it, it's truly fallen. It was only a couple of seasons ago that West Virginia University had the number one pass defense in the country. And some people will say, hey, yeah, that was, you know, maybe they didn't, uh, teams were still efficient or maybe they didn't pass as much because they were already beating WVU, so they ran more. Now you go back and look and you look at efficiency stuff, you look at, you know, quarterback passer rating everything like that, they're still in the top 20, 25 in the country. You know, maybe they're not number one pass defense like the total pass defense was, but they were up there. And it's dropped, obviously, considerably the last couple seasons. And then people were wondering, is it coaching? Is it personnel? Is it style? Is it something they've figured out? And Mike, you know, maybe the answer is a lot of it. Where where do you fall on the on the spectrum here of what the issue is in the secondary? I haven't had great pass rush. And that makes life miserable for cornerbacks and defensive ends or excuse me, uh, defensive backs in general. So like that's that's tough, obviously, but they've had good defensive line play and they've had good linebacker play in, in patches. But it just seems to me they've been better against the run sometimes, too, although they've had some horrendous days and maybe even some bad seasons against the run. But a consistent thing we've had with them is like, how are they going to get pressure in the quarterback? And that just makes things better. That's that's a, a, a generic, but also, I think, applicable explanation here, too. Another one is the transfer portal has killed him. Just killed him. Um, I'm not sure that Nick Troy Fortune starts the year he left, but, like, that was a starter and a guy that would be a good death piece. Daryl Porter, that hurts. Um, Charles Woods, I understand that situation went bad, but that hurts. And they just had losses through the transfer portal. And when you look at who they brought in, you know, a Caleb Coleman, a Charles Woods, a Jalen Shelton, you're projecting a lot of stuff. You're bringing guys from different levels. You and I talked about this Monday off the air, and then I had a chance to talk to one of my friends who works in the conference, and we were, we were just chatting about stuff and got to this question. I asked him, and I kind of bounced this idea off him, and he gave me some more depth on it. But you really got to get high-quality recruits, and there, there's because now you got to play them too because of the transfer portal. And the one position on defense that's really important, I mean, there's a lot of them, but like quarterback is one of them because you're not seeing high-value cornerback safeties maybe i'm not so sure about but they're not transferring from like power five to power five like you're not seeing a lot of like fifth year six year seniors who are playing corner in high level college football because they're good enough to go pro 
or they're good enough to stick there and start for a couple of years and then just go to the NFL naturally. They're not sticking it out for an extra year or two years, right? And I thought about that. And then I was thinking, all right, well, how does that apply to West Virginia? Well, they're not at that height of the power five. And as proof, they've lost some of their players, like Porter, for example, to the next level. I'm not sure Tyke Smith was a cornerback, but like that's a certainly a valuable defensive back. And where'd he go? Georgia. Where did Porter go? Well, home, but Miami. And Miami always thinks they're going to win the national title. West Virginia hasn't been in that conversation, that frame of mind for a while. So the recruiting aspect hasn't been great. And then you look at like they have Jacoby Spells, who isn't playing right now. Maybe he plays this week, but that's a guy that you kind of figure, all right, decent freshman year, apparently a good summer. He's in line to at least play against a team like Penn State as soon as the sophomore year. But then I go back to like, what a tricky expectation that is for a program that like if you're West Virginia, you don't recruit top 20 classes. Like you get mid thirties sometimes, right? How many of those, you know, maybe not day one, but year two cornerbacks are you getting? You need time to develop them. And if you don't do it right, they're gone. Or even if you do do it right, they're gone because they want to go somewhere else. So that's kind of a long answer of saying that the personnel puzzle is, is changing and evolving all the time now. And that you, you have to just absolutely land the plane when it comes to recruiting corners and safeties now play them early but hope they're good early but also like to acquire players here you're not seeing a lot of like high value coveted corners and safeties who are taking steps down from the height of power five to west virginia's level or who are even going from like a georgia to an alabama or an alabama to a clemson or a clemson or lsu i'm sure there's examples but it's not often that that happens because they're good enough to play with their app for a couple of years and graduate and go pro. Or they're good enough to go pro early. And that just doesn't apply here right now. Long answer to a short question, but um, I think it takes some time and some, some reflection to understand that because it's a really important part of what's going on on defense. I hate to not add to it, but I think you nailed everything right there. Cause I think um, it, it has so much to do with personnel and, and who they're losing and what they're not bringing in rather than what they are bringing in. And it, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say you have to kind of home, like homegrown cornerbacks. You have to build them up and make it happen because even when they started to do that, those players just end up leaving. You know, West Virginia was left in a tough spot, but they just have not done a good job of replacing that, replenishing that. And and you're right, maybe maybe that's just not there. It, it's not there to do because the best players are already gone. Yeah, like last year, people were really happy about Rashad Ajay and um, McCormick, right? And then, but you really had to like contort yourself to say, well, two years ago, McCormick was one of the best cornerbacks in the country, had a pretty good division or FCS team, and you know, took a sideways step one year. I think he was injured, right? He's back. He'll be fine. Wasn't fine. Ajay was a starter at a group of five school that wasn't successful. And then neither one of them really lit the world on fire here. Um, in fact, I would say he'd probably put the fire out. So what are they going to do this year? Like, what do they try to do? They were careful, but they got, you know, again, like where they got a guy from. They got a guy from Minnesota who's bounced around, started his career at Western Kentucky. They got a guy from Kent State. Neither one of those schools is, is really known for, you know, high-level defensive back play. Although I will say, I'm trying to forget the guy's name right now. I'm trying to remember his name. I forget it. The defensive coordinator at Western Kentucky um, for Bishop was pretty good. In fact, he's the defensive coordinator at South Carolina right now, I believe. People say he's one of the best corners coaches in the country. Okay, fine. But like you're replacing guys with a group of five guys who are going to need time to get used to this. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. And when you're losing players that you recruit and try to develop two power five programs, 
you just don't see a lot of power five, power five, where guys a successful starter going to another power five school. With you completely. I, I've gone back and looked and I was like, oh, well, maybe it was the defensive line. I do think that was part of it. That was a pretty loaded defensive line and linebacking core, by mm -hmm. the way, for West Virginia in 2020 when they had the number one pass defense. I mean, you had Darius Stills, Dante Stills, Akeem Mesador, uh, Jeffrey Pooler, like in his final year uh, when he when he came around. Um, and then a linebacker, you had Tony Fields. Uh, you had Josh Chandler, Samido, Samido. So you were pretty loaded on those first two lines to really kind of put the pressure and, and force opposing teams into some tough throws. But, I mean, Dante Stills was around the next couple of years, and, and Akeem Mesador was around for another year, and, and so on and so forth. And you had some decent linebacker play and defensive line play over the last couple of seasons. So you got to get personnel right. Uh, that's what it comes down to is personnel and you got to get it right at CB at cornerback. Just to go over my point here about, you know, you don't see like the, the power fives moving that they do. And it's, it's very picky too. Like here's Texas A&M to LSU, Virginia to Florida state, Ole Miss to Ohio state. You notice the pattern there, Chris? I do. Gravitating toward the top, um, Arizona to USC. I'm just looking at the 24 seven stuff here. Texas A&M to Georgia, Ohio state to LSU. That's parallel, I guess, but if you're good enough to do this, if you're good enough to avail yourself to the process and not go pro, you're going to go higher. You're not going to go parallel. You're not going to go sideways, right? Um, or you're just going to go to the NFL. And that, that corner position, especially the, the way the NFL is leading right now, um, pass, pass, pass. Quarterbacks, receivers are the big money players. Corner is, is important. Like Teams will draft them high and draft a couple of them every year because you need them. And I'm not saying it's becoming the, the running back position, but you're only going to pay so much and you can get them you know, throughout the draft and develop them and that's a whole nother conversation, a whole different story. And that'll wrap up our preview here. Typical rotation coming up the rest of the week. Even though it's an FCS team, we're going to go 110%, Chris. Got all the normal staples coming here. This is obviously the Thursday morning one. Tomorrow, fresh set by the numbers. Then we'll get into the preview piece on Saturday morning. Got a feature coming up on Garrett Green, the artist of the offense. And then, Chris, I'm sure you have a couple things to throw into the pot here. Yep, we're gonna have three keys coming up, uh, expert picks, a couple more recruiting updates. Um, we have a three minute video coming up where you and I uh dis further discuss the Duquesne game. Um, and we're gonna have Andrew out at the game this weekend and, and put him through the ringer, see if he can bring us some more content. That's too bad. Look forward to seeing him. Take it easy on him until next time. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.